0: Hi everybody, you're listening to The Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show.
1: This is a show with adult content, so if you are not of legal age where you live, then turn off now.
0: Rope bondage is a risky activity, and you shouldn't attempt it without first getting proper training. Listen to episode 0 if you haven't already.
1: Fox is a rigger, and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community.
0: This episode is made possible by our patrons who support us each month. If you would like to help, head to ropepodcast.com to see many options.
1: This year we want to focus on bringing the Rope podcast to a wider audience. To achieve that, we would like to ask you to follow us on Instagram and reshare this episode in your Instagram stories. We are Rope Podcast on Instagram.
0: Another thing that helps us is if you give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's anonymous, so you won't have your name visible on the internet, connected with a kinky podcast, don't worry. And now, going on with the
1: show. So Maya, you've been living with me for quite a few years now.
0: I have, yes.
1: And you know I have this little machine that has a keyboard and a tiny LED screen, and then sticky tape comes out, and you cut it off and you stick it onto things. Yeah. The label maker.
0: The label maker. Many things in our house are labeled.
1: I love that shit so much.
0: Draws, files, anything you can label has got a label on.
1: Hmm. And the king community has labels too.
0: It does, it does.
1: They are often well loved by beginners and reviled by more experienced kingsters.
0: Okay, that sounds like a complicated topic, so let's dive in.
1: Let's dive in. So what is a label, Maya?
0: So a label is usually a short descriptor that expresses um, the role that we want to take in a kinky interaction.
1: Okay, so for instance, if people are doing power exchange, what kind of labels might they use?
0: Uh, Dominant and submissive, master, Mm -hmm. slave, um, property owner.
1: Okay, so what would you expect of a person if they introduce themselves as a dominant?
0: Um, I would expect them to be interested in power exchange, um, to enjoy, um, within a particular context, making decisions, being in charge.
1: Hmm. Whereas if someone introduces themselves to me at a munch as a submissive, I would expect they would be more on the side of liking to give power, to follow and to have decisions made for them. Okay. But that's without knowing very much about that person and it still leaves a lot of space to explore, right? A lot right? of space, yeah. For instance, it doesn't tell us how long this person has been into power exchange, if they like a lot of power exchange, a little bit scene-based all what the time. What kind of
0: person they enjoy being in power exchange with. Absolutely. So if we move on to Rope, what kind of labels are relevant there?
1: Okay, I'm going to give a fairly long list of... <laughs> rope labels I've encountered and for each of them I'm going to talk a little bit about the connotation I put with that label and big disclaimer big
0: disclaimer
1: a lot of people are going to disagree with what I say today
0: <laughs> including probably me
1: including probably you and you're welcome to uh, voice your disagreement as I go through my list okay So first of all, we have the top.
0: And this is coming from BDSM more generally, right?
1: Mm -hmm. And it's also coming, I think, mostly from the gay male community historically. A top being the person who is insertive during intercourse. The giver. The giver. The, wait, what's the baseball equivalent? The pitcher, as opposed to the catcher.
0: Okay, we're not really baseball experienced.
1: No, but we want to be very inclusive and we know a lot (laughs) of our audiences in the USA and other countries that enjoy baseball. Okay. Or gay sex, that's very fun too.
0: So top um, is doing what then in rope bondage?
1: The top is the person applying the rope, putting the rope on another person or persons. And to me, if you choose to primarily identify as a top, it tells me you might focus on providing an experience. You're saying, okay, if you come to me, I will do rope to you. Okay. And sometimes that can be adjacent to the notion of rope rides when you're at a party and you said, okay, come to me and I'll, I'll give you a rope experience of some kind. Okay. Some people like that. Some people don't.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think just because you're a top doesn't mean that you would do rope with anyone and provide an experience
1: No, absolutely not. I'm just talking about what kind of broad connotations one can associate with the term. Then we have rigour. And a rigour is also someone who puts rope on someone, right?
0: So what's the difference?
1: So that's going to be, once again, very subjective. For me, someone who chooses to call themselves a rigour is more focusing on saying they have a certain technical ability They might be capable of doing some crazy suspensions that are quite impressive or quite difficult, or they might be particularly well-trained about safety.
0: So that's interesting because I have heard you say that anyone who picks up rope can call themselves a rigger.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And anyone can call themselves any label, but I'm just talking about what association I freely make for the different labels.
0: So you tend to call yourself a rigger in Mm -hmm. rope. So why why identify
1: with that term? Uh, I do think I am quite safety conscious and I do put a lot of effort into creating engineering suspensions and rope positions for people. And I'm using my engineering background to do that. And rigor, which is a term that comes more from places like theater or performance arts, where it would be the person in charge of the safety of the props and how the props are attached to the set and so on. That's, uh, that's an image I can easily associate with.
0: All right, what's next?
1: Next, we have the rope artist.
0: Oh, rope artist. So what do they do?
1: Well, unsurprisingly, their main focus is creating art. Okay. And that can be, for, for example, photography. And the, yeah, the focus is artistic as a pursuit. And then adjacent to that, we have the rope performer, which is similar, but slightly different. And that would be more having the goal of pleasing an audience, as opposed to focusing more on the two people or, yeah, let's assume two people, because it's simpler. than focusing on the two people doing the rope, we are more t- turning our attention towards who's watching and what it's going to do for them.
0: I'm going to note that many people that we've interviewed call themselves a performance artist, Mm -hmm. thus combining um, rope performer and rope artist and living off the rope.
1: And definitely you can choose to adopt more than one label. You can be a top and a rigger, you can be an artist and a performer.
0: I think it's one label for them though, a performance artist. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Okay, now next we have the rope master.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And to me, the rope master um, has the implication of someone who has achieved a high level of skill and possibly has this skill recognized by their peers. So it's more a title that might be given by other people to you rather than the mantle you put on yourself.
0: So you're pulling it from more from the leather community where you achieve a certain status to be a master.
1: Okay, that's interesting. I was more thinking actually about Japanese schools where you study for years, you pay a lot of fees and at the end you get a nice diploma saying congratulations, you're a master now. Okay. And it might be an Asian thing. like that. That's how the word is used here in Asia. It might be not used at all in other parts of the world or used differently.
0: And in Thailand, we've seen it, but is it... Um, the the English word master, or is there a Thai equivalent?
1: You could make a parallel to the Thai word "ajan," which is a professor or someone who has achieved a very high level, both of knowledge and also respect in a certain field.
0: Do people call themselves, "what ajan's"?
1: Yeah, I think they can. Do they? I believe they do. Okay. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really want to share our love of rope to as many listeners as possible, and for that we need your help. Please go to Instagram and follow our account Rope Podcast. Then reshare this episode in your stories. Show your love of rope and help others discover it too. Uh, then a funny one, but one that I think is quite descriptive, is the rope stylist.
0: Ooh, what do they do?
1: Uh, they make pretty rope,
0: They'll give you a hairstyle that's made all out of rope.
1: I mean, that would be kind of (laughs) cool. And they could definitely potentially do that. It might
0: look like a mop though.
1: I mean, depends. Might be nice. Uh, And I think they are people who tend to focus on the appearance of rope, rather than the process or the experience. They are usually excited about things like having all kinds of different colors of rope, all kinds of different textures they can use for their creations. And they would be the type of people you could hire if you're, say, shooting a music video that has some shibari in it. Then, Maya, we are going to go more towards the other side of the rope slash, if that's a thing. (laughs) The people who are receiving the rope, who are being tied.
0: Okay, that's interesting, because I thought a rope performer was a bottom.
1: Okay, great point. Actually, a performer can totally be a bottom. And. First of all we have indeed the bottom. So do you identify as a rope bottom Maya?
0: Uh yes, I would say that that would be one of the words I would um associate with and that's because I think it's the broadest of the the broadest and most neutral of the terms around rope which means you're receiving rope essentially.
1: Okay. Uh some people seem to be uncomfortable with the association with bottom in a sexual context because there are people who do not want sex with their rope, and they don't want to say, well, being a bottom doesn't mean I'm okay with being fucked, if, if you'll pardon my French.
0: So I am a bottom in lots of areas in BDSM, mm-hmm. um, and it often doesn't involve sex, so I'm very chill about that. Yeah. I don't have the uh, connection with... I don't have the this necessity for it to involve
1: sex. Okay, great. I think you're completely right, but I'm just uh, spotting it for people who might have heard bottom in a more sexual context. Then another controversial term, Maya, we have the rope bunny. Yeah. So, how do you feel about the rope bunny?
0: I am conflicted. Okay,
1: Okay. and what's your conflict about it?
0: So, the challenge with the rope bunny, and bear in mind it's something that I often um, identify as, is that there's not an equivalent for it as a rope top. Okay. So, one of the things... Is it a rope fox? Well, I was thinking, well, platypus.
1: Okay, that's kind of cool. I'm
0: just, I mean, I'm just saying that there isn't yeah. Um. that. And even if there was, well, bunny has some quite cutesy, mm-hmm. passive, Um, it's not necessarily an empowered animal. And again, I say that being quite chill about identifying as a bunny outside rope. Okay. And so that's maybe why... I'm more relaxed about using it in more, but I am uncomfortable about the idea that a rigger is this technically amazing like person who's mastered all these things, and the equivalent is a bunny, who's this like cutesy, um, often more female identified. It just, it reeks of stereotypes mm. for me. And it's
1: true it can be gendered for a lot of people, even though I know quite a few men who are fine with being called bunnies as males, it tends to be more female in the way it's used, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's a term that I think is quite controversial um, and people have quite a lot of discussions about.
1: Hmm. Then we have more generically... And moving more towards verbs rather than nouns.
0: Yeah. So, if people have listened to the Midori episode, I think that's a really good um, mention of verbs, not nouns.
1: And if they haven't listened to it yet, they (laughs) really should. Because it's a really good conversation with an amazing person. So, then we have person in rope. And so... This label to me sounds quite generic, like it's not telling us a lot and I think that's the purpose.
0: So for me, it isn't a label, <laughs> Like that's yeah. the whole point of it. It's moving away from labels. Okay, it's
1: refusing labeling altogether. Yeah,
0: exactly. And it's descriptive mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't come with all the millions of connotations that all the other labels come with.
1: Yeah, it's certainly not submissive. No. And no,
0: dominant?
1: Yeah, and that's fine either way, depending on what rocks your boat, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, then the person outside the rope is one I struggle with
0: Why? a
1: bit more. Because if you imagine uh, a room where there's one person being tied, one person doing the tying, uh, 20 people looking. And two people making coffee, like everyone except the person being tied is outside the rope, not just the person doing the rope.
0: But you might have 10 tops in a room and 10 bottoms, but only two of them are you your scene.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just sharing my feeling about the term. I don't, I don't love this one.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and then the person being bound, the person doing the binding. So we're really into the verb part, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. which is yeah more descriptor, less, less a label. Uh, we have some more labels, Maya, though. We have the rope switch. Okay. And for me, if someone chooses to primarily call themselves a rope switch, they are putting the emphasis on the fact that they like both tying and also being tied Mm. uh, with probably a fairly close balance between the two. Like someone who 90% of the time gets tied and and 10% of the time ties other people probably is less likely to call themselves a rope switch. Somewhere closer to 50-50 maybe.
0: I don't know. Honestly, yeah? um, I think I wouldn't count on that um, because it, you're trying to express something, aren't you? And if you want to have the opportunity to both tie and be tied, even if you choose 90% of the time to tie, you might still call yourself a rope switch in order to make sure you have those opportunities available. Okay,
1: so then it's more about an openness to mm. both sides of the experience. And then you might elaborate by saying, oh, I'm, but I'm more experienced on this side, but yes. I'm sti- I still love both. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, one that's a bit more blurry, but I still hear regularly, is the rope slut. What do
0: you think that is?
1: So that's a bit my interpretation again, but I think that is someone who loves ropes so much that they would do it almost at every opportunity and almost with anyone. Mm. And I kind of love the enthusiasm of that. And also, I'm a bit scared by the implications in terms of safety.
0: And also, like, not really caring who the other person is.
1: Yeah, which I can see for some people can be hurtful. Mm. If, uh, say, you're the top and the person comes to you and says, I'm just here for the rope. Honestly, you could be anyone as long as you (laughs) give me rope. Some people might not love that.
0: Not feel comfortable. What's next?
1: Moving on, we have the rope fetishist. And for me, that is someone who gets great pleasure, possibly sexual pleasure, but not necessarily, from contact with rope or restraining with rope or being restrained by rope.
0: Or looking at rope pictures. Or looking
1: at rope pictures. And then the focus is more on the rope as an object. Or the sensation of rope on the body. And depending on the case, that might or might not mean that rope is required for this person to reach sexual satisfaction. Hmm. And then I feel there's some missing ones, like there's some things I don't know a label for.
0: Where's self tying here?
1: Okay, great point. Do you know any good labels for people who self tie?
0: Self tyers? I guess. <laughs> there must be better ones.
1: Hmm. Auto bondages? All right. Well, dear listeners, if you know some good and interesting labels for people who primarily self tie please share them in the comments for this episode. Uh, Also, I don't know a good label for someone who wants to express that they do rope bondage primarily for sexual purposes. Okay.
0: Okay. And they're not a rope fetishist?
1: I don't think it's quite the same. Let's say, for instance, someone who likes to restrain their partner for the purpose of having sex with them. But for them, it's about the bondage, not the rope. They might as well do it with chains or with bondage tape. They don't care about it being rope. Then I would definitely not call them a rope fetishist in this case. Okay. Uh, and then someone who is primarily interested in rope for therapeutic purposes. I i don't know of a label that doesn't make me cringe. I was going to
0: say, we get into such risky, uncomfortable areas. Rope therapist. ah.
1: Yeah, and rope healer. But there's ah. been so many cases of dark, dark things happening, being covered up by those words, but we're not very comfortable with them. Yeah. And I would say, let's remember we're also allowed to make up our own labels. Absolutely. Like, I'm a rope platypus. A <laughs> uh, problem there is we'll miss out on some of the benefits because when we use those labels, people are not going to know what they mean. But it can be a good uh, conversation starter. Like as an icebreaker at the munch, oh, hi, I'm a rope linguist. They're like, what the fuck is that? Well, let me explain.
0: Rope linguist. <laughs> okay. Um, so, what what can having these many labels do for us?
1: Well, first of all, they are easy to display on a profile. True that. So, social media is a big part of kink life these days. And on some websites, they can be used as search criteria. Mm. So, if I stick a rigor label on myself on one of those websites, it might make it easy for people who want to be tied to find me. Whereas if I write a beautiful essay on all the subtleties of my rope practice, well, they're never going to find me. (laughs) Then I think they are a really easy starting point as a wine liner introduction of yourself. We used to go to a munch here in Bangkok where at the start, people would take turns introducing themselves in a few words, going in a circle. And then if you have some labels i think it makes that process easier hi my name is fox i'm a rigger i like rope next
0: (laughs) people love being put into boxes as well like the myers-briggs is a really good example which is a personality questionnaire where people really like identifying with people in a group
1: Mm, and i think that's even truer of people who are new to kink They feel that if they can attach themselves to a label, it gives them a clear path forward, at least for the first part of their exploration. Okay, I think I'm a top, so I'm going to read books for tops. I'm going to go to workshops for tops. I'm going to try to find play as a top. And it's less scary than having the vast blue ocean of everything kink open to you all at once. Mm.
0: That leads me to the question, what are the cons of labels?
1: Okay, I've, I'm sure we can think of some. So first of all, and I think that's a reason why more experienced kingsters tend to issue labels is that they can feel quite restrictive. Um, let's say in terms of your exploration, oh, I'd love to try being tied once, but I'm a rigger, so I can't, right? Mm. Well, actually, you can do whatever the F you want. want. <laughs> <laughs> and just because you started your king career as a rigor label doesn't mean you can't become a rope switch or you know what just stay a rigor and get tied anyway mm-hmm. like there's no rope police that's going to come arrest you and no one will think less of you for that and if they do fuck them yes i'm swearing a lot today you are <laughs>
0: what else are the cons of labels
1: they can also restrict your growth mm-hmm. and you might feel like because you've started with a certain label you can grow out of it but actually it's perfectly fine to change your label at any point or have more than one. And yeah, if you become too fused with a given word as an identity, it can become an obstacle to your evolution. And we go back to my uh, fetish with Anatta this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then again, and that's more coming from other people, you might end up being pigeonholed. And if you're, attachment to a certain label is very strongly known in your community. Uh, People at a party might only seek you out for that one thing you're known for doing. And that tends to happen a lot with rope, more than with other kinks, I think. Once you are spotted and identified as a rigger, People in, at parties are going to assume you're here to tie and nothing else. Are
0: there other cons of labels?
1: I think there's definitely a risk of being misunderstood. Mm,
0: I really agree with
1: this. Because not everyone has the same definition for each of those labels.
0: If they've even heard of them.
1: If they've even heard of them. And so it's supposed to be a tool that simplifies communication, but it might end up being a trap because you thought you said something, but the other person actually understood something different.
0: Mm, And they might be used in different ways, by different cultures, different communities. And you might have come from a community where everyone did use it in the same way, Mm -hmm. but hey, the new community you're in does not use it in that same way.
1: Yeah, that is definitely a thing. And I think the biggest pitfall is thinking, okay, A is a top and B is a bottom. So clearly they're gonna want to play together. (laughs) And actually, people are not jigsaw puzzle pieces like that.
0: So how can we choose, if we want to, labels for ourselves?
1: I think there are many different ways. You can look at a list of existing options.
0: Like this podcast.
1: Like this podcast gave you a few. Also, if you say create a profile on FetLife, and if you do, please come friend the podcast, um, you get offered a long list of options as your label, and you can pick whatever... Feels the nicest to you at the time.
0: Some of them are more work related, some of them are less work related. Mm-hmm.
1: You can also take a bunch of online tests and they will tell you you're 47% <laughs> a top and 63% <laughs> a rigor, whatever the heck that means.
0: And why is that over
1: 100%? Yeah. Uh, there's nothing wrong also with just trying a label on for size for a while. Okay, I'm gonna go around calling myself a rigor. What reaction do I get from people? What How do I feel using this label with myself? Do I like it? Do I not like it? And then finally, I think it's super fine to ask around, like ask your partners, ask in your local scene, ask some kinky friends and tell them, okay, what do you think I should adopt as my label? Because you've seen me evolve in the kink scene for a little bit. What do you think I am? And the better they know you, the better the answer they might be able to give you. I
0: had one thought about this whole concept, which is that Rote rote World uh, seems to have what is honestly a bit of a ridiculous number of potential labels. And I wonder what that says about people, us in the Rote World. So if you think about the impact part of BDSM, there aren't 20 different labels Hmm. for an impact person of different types so what is it about rope and this is a deeper question that I think I leave the audience with that people feel that they need more than just top and bottom which Mm. honestly most parts of uh, BDSM are quite comfortable with
1: I wouldn't be surprised if mismatch in intentions and culture and values had something to do with it Maya (laughs) but that is something that bears further investigation.
0: All right. So what do we think about labels?
1: Uh, We think they certainly have their limitations, but they can still be very useful tools. We recommend using them mostly at the start of an interaction with a given person or group, but then moving beyond that and going into more detailed communication. We think along with rope intentions, rope values, a rope user manual. They help communicate who we are and what we want in rope.
0: And we'd love to hear in the comments if and which your current favorite rope label to use is and why. And if you have better names for people who self-tie, we'd love to hear them.
1: Thanks for listening
0: and have fun tying.